This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, we are welcoming Fitz Kohler. She is a fitness influencer, among other things. And we're going to talk about of her book and leadership and all this sort of thing. It should be very interesting and very exciting. So welcome, Fitz, to the Cameron Journal podcast. How are you? I am spectacular, Cameron. Couldn't be any better. Thank you for having me on your show. Good, good, good. Well, why don't we start from the beginning? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am a fitness expert. I have a master's degree in exercise and sports sciences, and my business is fitness, fitness.com. And um, I have spent decades helping people live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. Um, my career is mainly based off of mass media. So any way I can reach enormous amounts of people in one uh, effort is where I go. So TV, radio, books, magazines, I do a ton of corporate speaking. And I'm a professional race announcer. So I am the voice of some of the largest, most iconic running events in America. That is, that's quite a portfolio of stuff you do. I can't imagine the scheduling. Uh, You know what? It all works. On occasion, there's a few, there's some times where I feel like I wish I could be in two places at once, but um, I bounce around a lot. There's a lot of travel, but travel brings me to awesome people. So I don't mind it one bit. No, that's that's good. So you mentioned uh, making fitness understandable for people. Why don't we start with that? What about fitness seems to be confusing for most people? Uh, well, I tell you who's butchered it is the um, scummy, skeezy snake oil salesmen who have butchered this very simple, stupid science. I mean, the reality behind fitness is move your body in a variety of ways, strength, cardio, flexibility, balance. Watch what you put in your mouth, get quality sleep, remove the cranky people. Those are my secrets to getting, and my not so secret secrets to becoming a healthy fit person. Um, but there's these jerks out there saying, you need to buy this diet and you need to buy this pill and you need to do keto and you need to intermittent fast. You need to buy products with the word weight loss on them. And because of those horrific um snake oil products, people are wasting, wasting their hard-earned money and setting themselves up for constant failure and misery and um, frustrations. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the confusing part about fitness. I mean, fitness is not confusing. It's exactly what you think it is. You got to exercise. You got to watch what you put in your mouth. You got to sleep. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have muddied the waters Yeah, there's kind of a weird, like, I don't know if you see this in your business, but right now we seem to have this kind of weird bifurcated idea. There's 
kind of one group that's like, if you're not fit, you're a human piece of trash. And then there's kind of group B that's like, oh my goodness, like body positivity. But then they'll also go around like attacking anybody in the wrong body, doing the wrong thing, a la Sam Smith, all this sort of thing. Um, what what do you think that's a, that's about? We seem to have this very kind of odd attitude towards fitness in our society. So, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, when it comes to appearance, it's never my job to worry about how somebody else looks, right? I just, if you want to look great in your swimsuit or your dress or your jeans or whatever, fine. I can help you do that. Where I'm concerned about is your quality of life and your length of life. So I want to help you live better and longer and, um, you know, there's very specific paths to those things. Now, I I believe in the content of your character. So I don't choose my friends based off of their fitness. Do I wish health on my friends and even my enemies? I do. You know, I hope even the terrorists out in the Middle East who want to kill us, I hope they're exercising and eating right. I think perhaps if they do, they might be less hostile and then maybe they'll feel good and they'll not want to blow us up. So I actually wish health on everybody. Um, and I wish happiness on everybody. No, I, I do think the body positivity um, movement is dangerous only in the way that it will um, make someone feel comfortable being obese. And yeah, you can feel comfortable being a good person, but the reality is your joints are paying a horrible price. Your heart is at risk and your spinal column is certainly not having a good time when you overload it with too much weight. So does, do I want everyone to feel loved and special and valuable? Absolutely. I don't care what you look like, where you pray, who you sleep with. None of that is my business. Um, but when it comes to actual health, uh, I do can I, I do worry about people um, celebrating obesity and uh, or even a hyper uh, then we don't want to, we don't want to celebrate people that are skinny, right? Skinny is not a win. Skinny is something that happened to the Jews in the Holocaust, right? Skinny is not a prize. So healthy, healthy is what we're after. And anybody, um, whether you're a singer or a dancer or an actor, if you're not healthy, you should be working towards that. So says me. <laughs> no, no, that makes a lot of sense. How did you, how did you decide to take this on as, as a business sort of thing? Like, were you one of those, my guess is you were one of those super athletic people in high school who like played four sports and was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So <laughs> off to grad school we go. <laughs> yeah. So I love that you think that Um, I did, I grew up in sports and I played everything from t-ball. I cheered, I did speed skating, um, but I was very mediocre at sports and I got cut from almost everything in high school. My older siblings were elite athletes and they made every team and they were the star of every team. And I just wasn't, I literally got cut from almost everything in high school. And um, I started attending a fitness center when I was 15, I had blown my knee out playing rec soccer and had surgery. And that physical therapist said, you know, after surgery, he said, you should go to a gym so you don't re-injure your knee. And so I went into the gym and I really enjoyed it. And I started taking group fitness classes and I thought the instructors were cool and I thought it was really fun. And I had been working at Cinnabon. That was my, my job right before I started teaching fitness, but that manager got grouchy and I 
So I applied at the gym and um, that was a Tuesday night. And then guy was like, can you teach a class on Friday? And I'll, I'll give it a try. And thankfully it went well. But yeah, I, I was not a good athlete. I was just someone who really valued sports. And then when I started teaching fitness, I found that I was actually good at it. And uh, I could rally the people around me. It felt like a team and I fell in love with it. It, it didn't dawn on me until I was uh, at the end of my undergraduate career that I would turn fitness into an actual profession because most people do it as a job, right? They work at a gym or they do personal training on the side. How do you turn fitness into an actual profession where you can own a house and pay it off and own cars and pay them off and take your kids on vacation sometimes? So, you know, I had to make some big decisions as a young adult to steer my career in that direction. But yeah, I, I've been doing it forever and I love it. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that journey. Cause I, having worked in marketing, I had a private gym as a client for a while. I had several of their personal trainers as clients as well. Um, and we did a lot of great work and got a lot of great stuff done and all this type of thing. Um, what, how, how did you kind of, uh, plot your path in making it something that was so, so profitable? Well, you know, what's interesting is, uh, I had a few aha moments in, I mean, my early twenties, I was still in college. So the first was a local TV producer, um, was casting for a fitness TV show, Cardio Jam. And I auditioned, I thought, why not? And thankfully he chose me and the show did very well. It aired all throughout Florida. And what started happening is strangers would grab me on the street and say, are you Fitz? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, I love your show. I work out with you every day it's on and I record it and do it when you're, when you're not on. And um, I've lost 17 pounds or my back doesn't hurt. And so those moments really made me go, whoa, that's incredible. The fact that I got to help a stranger, mind blowing. Um, So I really had good value on TV. And then soon after I had written a couple of articles and I got some uh, cross country feedback, handwritten letters that say this, this really helped me and so forth. So I became, I, I gained a passion, a craving for mass impact. It was like, okay, I'm going to get to all the people, not just 40 people in a classroom. And um, the other thing I learned pretty quickly is that, you know, even think the last time I did personal training, I was charging like $150 an hour, which is a good rate. Um, but if you, if you're sick, you don't get paid. If you go on vacation, you don't get paid. And so, um, besides wanting the mass impact, I found that corporations, they pay a really good amount. Corporations pay me a lot. I show up and I represent a massive brand like Disney or Office Depot or Tropicana, Oakley, Either they um, they hire me to help their workforce become healthier and fitter and more profitable, or they connect me and they connect their brand through me with fitness to their consumers. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, I found that that's a far more profitable way of doing business rather than expecting one person at a time to pay me $100 at a time. No, that definitely, that definitely, definitely makes sense. What's your, what's your favorite part about doing these corporate uh, fitness gigs? You know, I so desperately love 
teaching fitness. I love being, and you know how some people have a fear of uh, public speaking. I have the fear of not public speaking. So, you know, the opportunity to stand on a stage in front of a massive group of people and teach them. And, and before I start telling blah, blah, blah about fitness, we talk about the why, because we got to, you got to convince them that this is a worthy effort. And why is this relevant to you? How is this going to benefit you? And once you get them hooked, once I get them hooked and they're nodding their heads saying, yes, yes, I want that. This matters to me. Then I go into the nuts and bolts of the how, but I live audience work is always my favorite. I love connecting with people and, you know, the feedback after I speak, usually that's a time where I say, okay, if you want to, if you, if you like to have a private conversation or you have a question you weren't willing to ask in front of the group, I'll be over on the side for a while. And just the huge line of people that want to come and have a talk. Sometimes they want to brag about things they've already accomplished and, uh, or ask private questions. It's yeah, it's the connection. It's the connection. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I I'm in the middle of, uh, of building out my public speaking career, which is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Unfortunately, I need to finish two more books before I do that. So the the race is on right now. So, but that, that is the thing I enjoy about doing those things the most, which is why I want to do more, more, more of them. So because I'm the same as I'm the same as you. I'm probably more comfortable on stage in front of 300 people than I am in like a group of five at dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, my brain is broken. So. You know what? I, I'll, I'm usually the quiet one at a private dinner. If there's a party or something, I'm I'm the little house mouse. I sit in the corner and I let other people have their thing. When I'm on a stage, then I'm on the stage. You know, there's there's the public me and then there's the I'll sit in the back person. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's very, that's very cool. So why don't we tell us about your most recent book? Ah, so I have two recent releases, which I'm ecstatic. So the series is the cancer comeback series. Um, two years ago, I released my memoirs called my noisy cancer comeback running at the mouth while running for my life. And that's the wild and crazy tale of, um, the collision of cancer care and race announcing and traveling, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that book's filled with a lot of lessons on mental fortitude and um, fun because cancer can be funny and only someone who's had it can really say that. But yeah, cancer can be hilarious. And then these two new books, um, the first is Your Healthy Cancer Comeback, Sick to Strong. And this one uses my highly credentialed fitness expertise with my cancer street cred And the point here is to build up cancer patients and survivors to help them go from sick to strong. Excuse me. And when I hit rock bottom, which I was skeletally thin, I was dreadfully weak. Every single iota of my body had been damaged in some regard. My fingernails had ripped off. My toenails were ripped off. All my hair was gone. My everything, everything was wrong. I knew exactly how how to rebuild myself and get back to not only healthy and fit, but athletic. I ran the Boston Marathon a little over a year after finishing 15 months of chemo intermixed with radiation and surgeries, et cetera. So I knew how to do that for myself. But at the same point where I hit rock bottom and I knew how to dig my way out of that hole, I felt for my peers. I thought, oh my gosh, could I, could you imagine being here and not being a fitness expert? not knowing how to get back to normal because you go so far from normal. It's, um, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. And so 
your healthy cancer comeback is the blueprint for cancer patients of any sort and survivors, the know-how, the exercise, nutrition, uh, quality rest, complimentary care, everything you need to know to slow the decline and rebuild your body. And then along with it, there's the Healthy Cancer Comeback Journal, which, excuse me, is um, filled with thoughtful prompts, which we know that writing is a very cathartic pr process. And, you know, you can put in all your oncology details, your data diagnosis, your scans, your results, your medical team. But there's a bunch of prompts for your fears, for you to express your fears, your faith, your friends, you know, which which friend has the best shoulder to cry on and which friend sends you the most uplifting text messages. And then there's the funny stuff where um, have you nicknamed your tumor? Have you given a nickname to your port? What celebrities do you look like bald? And so I was constantly, because I never wore a wig. So everyone got the full Monty of my bald head all the time. And I was constantly getting, you look like Sinead O'Connor. Duh. You look like Grace Jones. Oh, really? I do. Okay. Uh, you look like Crazy Britney. Crazy Britney was one of my favorites. Thanks. So, um, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the journals for all the stuff, the serious stuff, the fun stuff. And the full back half of the book is filled with daily um, fitness tracking, logging to help you get to your point B. That yeah, that's that's amazing in terms of uh, rebuilding after after cancer. I I have I've always said I've long said as cancer runs in my family, if I ever get cancer, I'm letting it take me because no. I'm not going to go through what my grandma went through. No, um, <laughs> I like hell, Cameron. You fight like hell. It's very winnable. <laughs> Hey, the cancer, the treatment now, believe it or not, for most of us is so much better than it was when your grandmother had it. And I don't even know when that was, but it's it, no, it was it was the early 90s. It was the early 90s. I was actually um and she was amazing because she actually stayed working full time during breast cancer part one. So what she would do is she would get off work at Friday at 4:30. She would go do chemo, come home, basically be sick and miserable all weekend and get better just in time enough to trundle back to the office because she was working at a medical um, imaging company called News and Film. Um, back when we had old-fashioned film x-rays, this is 1991, um, and they, they made them. They made the cartridges and all that sort of thing, and she was working there doing that. And so, um, and it was, it was quite, it was quite amazing. And it was just like, it just affected the rest of her life in terms of, I mean, it didn't help three years later, she got breast cancer again. She had bone cancer later on. Um, <clears throat> and then ironically passed of a stroke, um, kind of <laughs> survived cancer three times to die of a stroke. Um, yes. And, uh, and, uh, and it was, um, it was quite it was quite horrific. So yeah, having a nickname for your port would be funny. She would she would immediately be laughing about that because like but literally, like I grew up like, you know, cutting out stitches or, you know, oh, or, or she a trained she was a RN for 25 years. She trained her husband at the time to flush her port for her so she didn't have to go into town. Um and so it was just it just is something that like and I don't know, maybe it was just because I was so young, but I always just looked at that and was kind of like, nope. <laughs> well, you know what? Nope. <laughs> Look in my eyes, Cameron. It's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, the women, and I'm just sticking with breast cancer, 
you know, you, if you had breast cancer, they immediately cut off both breasts. I did not have to do that. I had lumpectomy because there was no statistical benefit for me having a full mastectomy. Back in the day, everybody got the full mastectomy, radical mastectomy. They took um, oh, so much tissue. They took all of your lymph nodes. Uh, my great aunt used to have, my grandmother used to say, well, Aunt Anna has a sausage arm. That's what she called it, a sausage arm. She had breast cancer, the lymph nodes removed. And so her arms swelled and um, filled with fluid because it had nowhere to go. Yeah, nowhere to go. Yeah. So I I mean, I wear a sleeve only on a plane. Some women today still have to wear the sleeves, but not all of us. You know, so anyways, if you are ever diagnosed and I hope that's never the case, but you fight like hell and you take the modern day treatments, which, again, are far um, better than um, they were 30 plus years ago. And your grandmother would punch you in the little <laughs> yeah. yeah probably and I, but that's what always impresses me about people like yourself who come out and write these and i think that workbook is absolutely hilarious and um i'm gonna bear that in mind if i have a if i have a friend who is stricken that way i'm gonna like you have to buy miss Kohler's book immediately um yes. and so um Yes. And so like, this, I think that's really cool. And I think it, it puts it in a different frame and gets people, you know, to kind of reframe the discussion about it as well. And so I think that's really cool. So do you know what strawberry moments are? No. Okay. So they're, they're, they're more widely known than this, but my children went to a summer sleepaway camp in the woods every summer. And at the end of every day, each cabin would gather around and they would go through each student, each uh, camper would talk about their strawberry moments from the day. And those were basically the best moments of the day. And so strawberry moments are in the Your Healthy Cancer Comeback. They're also in the journal. But I'm prompting people with that daily log. It's not only the how much water did you drink and when did you go to sleep and did you nap and how, what kind of exercise you do and what kind of healthy food did you eat. But there's prompts for strawberry moments even in the uh, depths of cancer care, something great happened. You know, maybe your nurse was super sweet. Maybe you got great news. Maybe you heard from an old friend, but it's forcing people to acknowledge something wonderful that happened each day. And it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, it's human to cry and feel stress. I think I cried every day of my um, cancer experience. And it was fine. I would cry alone in my bathroom in my car and I would dry it up and I would just get on with it and have a great day. And I I continued working and doing all the things that I wanted to do. But um, but yeah, you if you wallow in it, you know, if you bask in the misery, you know, it leads to deep depression and isolation and none of that stuff is healthy. So even with cancer, there are strawberry moments and you have to identify them every single day. Yeah, I think I think that's really hard for a lot of people because there is, you know, any sort of sickness, it gets so isolating, like all your friends mm-hmm. tend to leave and depart. I actually read something from a nurse on Twitter recently. Divorce after a cancer diagnosis is has become so common that when you get your diagnosis, they tell you, oh, by the way, don't be surprised if you're like to a woman who's just gotten diagnosed with breast cancer, by the way, (laughs) this is probably not going to be great for your romantic relationship because the rates of divorce are so high. 
it's that bad. So I think it can be so isolating. And I think that impetus through the journaling with your book to kind of break that up is so important. My business partner, he and I just started, we've been friends for almost 15 years, but we just started a new venture together. And he had, he's coming up on a year anniversary of his stroke. Ouch. At 54, no less. And that's the one thing he has mentioned is he's like, ever since, because he basically kind of started working at the beginning of this year. He's like, ever since I started working again, people have started to come back and started to reach out. He's like, I lived through nine, 10 months of like nobody wanting to reach out and all this type of thing. So I think finding, but I think that's the great thing about what you do is like finding those strawberry moments and, and, you know, and in keeping engaging with people and all this type of thing that I think is, is as curative as the, as the allopathic medical stuff, because that's what keeps us human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know any um, doctor who feels like depression is going to be beneficial to your case. Right. I believe. And and with the COVID mindset, I would be that patient. I'm kind of like, oh, I have cancer, you say. Well, in that case, I'm just going to destroy my phone and sit in the room until it's all over sort of thing. (laughs) My book is for you to. Yeah. (laughs) I, I. I just, I was defiant about it all. I decided, well, F that, you know, I've got two kids. Cancer is not taking time with my time with them. If they had a sport, a ceremony, a, a show, I was going to be there no matter what. And then I boarded over 30 planes out of Gainesville, Florida to go announce races. And um, I just, I wasn't going to let it take the good stuff in my life. It was, it was already taken enough, um, but we make decisions, right? We have to make decisions. So with or without cancer. I think the goal for folks, uh, at least as I'm concerned, is control what you can. Control what you can. You are uh, completely responsible for you. I say this in the health category. You know, we can't look, get na- get naked, get in your mirror. And if you like what you see, great, you did that. If you don't like what you see, great, you did that. And the, the wonderful part of taking full ownership over yourself is that gives you full control over yourself. You know, right? If you're not pointing your finger like, well, I'm not this way because my grandpa was that way or my grandma. No, you can't blame them. It's you, you control you. And so with fitness, that rule applies. Uh, With cancer, that rule applies. And what are you controlling? You can't control the fact that you have XYZ cancer, Um, but can you choose great doctors? Yeah, can you accept or deny their treatment? Yes, can you? Make your body a hostile environment for cancer. Yeah. How do you do that? You do that with exercise. You do that with nutrition. You do that with rest. You make your body a cancer-killing machine. There's a recent study out of Tel Aviv University. High-intensity aerobic exercise makes cancer 72% less likely to spread. That's an extraordinary number. November 22, that's when that... Uh, study was released, 72% likely. So if you get out and huff and puff on a regular basis, you know, if you do have cancer, it's far more likely to stay at stage one and not make it to two, three, or four because of that aerobic intensity exercise. So anyways, you have control and you should take it. You should take it every day. Don't wait for a doctor to look at you and say, you have cancer. Start taking control right now. I want to, I think that's wonderfully motivational. I want to talk about race announcing. Now, given all that we've talked about and all this type of thing, how the hell did you get into announcing races? That makes no sense whatsoever. 
well, you know, it's so funny. So most people are like, that's a job. And then they go, they see what I do and they go, they pay you for it. I mean, I used to work in yeah. broadcast radio and that's what most of the radio announcers or hosts did on the weekends. Like okay. um, when I, when I was in Denver at 710 KNUS, um, our sister station, 850 KOA, their announcer did the Colorado Avalanche games. One of our guys did the Denver Nuggets. We had another guy who did football. Like that was everybody's weekend, nighttime sort of thing All in right. the talk radio world was sports announcing. And it paid better than the radio station. So um, that's so yeah, I, I'm not so I'm not surprised it's a job. It's just it seems like that's such a different skill set than what you do in the rest of your life. You know what? It's exactly my skill set. Um, and it's funny because my very first job ever was that I was the birthday clown at a skating rink. And I pretty much <laughs> have continued that skill set through my whole life. I'm still the birthday clown, um, but I'm also a sport performance expert. So my forte is making happy noise, bossing people around and mass groups, right? Teaching fitness and so forth. And so run Disney, which is the endurance sports wing of Walt Disney World and Disneyland, um, they had a run series and I was virtually their fitness expert. They would bring me in whenever they had a race and I would teach clinics for the athletes, uh, strength training for runners, for example, their race announcer, big booming voice, huge charisma. I ran those races. He made the start and finish lines fun for everybody. He names Rudy Novotny. And so one of the other tasks he had that weekend was to introduce the speakers at the expo. And so he would always introduce me and then he'd be stuck sitting through my presentation and very complimentary. And one day he just said, you know what? You're so engaging. You're so fun. I, I need a co-announcer for the OC marathon in California in a few months. Would you be interested? And I said, well, I've never done it before, but I see what you do. It looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to give it a go. And so he connected me with the race director who hired me. And um, about an hour after I yelled go for the first time on marathon morning, race director came over and said, would you come back next year? I said, hell yeah. And then uh, more and more offers kept coming in. And I'm probably one of the busiest race announcers in the country right now. I love it. Love that's it. amazing. That's such that's such a fascinating pivot. That's so impressive to yeah. move to yeah to and i i do see how it's sort of adjacent to what you're already doing but that's just so, that's kind of an amazing other thing to be doing as well as an extension of all your other great work yeah and everything i do is complimentary everything i mean my skills i'm i'm bossy i'm noisy and uh you know i promote health and fitness right and so everything i do is is intertwined am i a one trick pony maybe I'm, maybe I'm a one trick pony, but I'm pretty good at this trick I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I, as someone who does a wide variety of things and has done a wide variety of things and has lived long enough to already make, create, have a high and lose a creative career before this one, um, there's something to be said for that. You know, sometimes I think about what if I, you know, would I be farther along if I had been more focused on one thing rather than kind of going for anything that stuck and nothing really ever did stick. Um, and so, which is why I do this now. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's something to be said for that. And I, mean, I think also makes it kind of very inspirational and it puts you in the environments and pe around the people that you want to be around and all that sort of thing. So I think that's really cool as well. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is within fitness, and boy, do I love fitness. I, I do a lot of arm twisting, right? So I'm constantly trying to convince people 
that exercise is a good idea. That new eating wisely is a good idea. So uh, there's a lot of arm twisting on that side of my business. On race announcing, I show up at the start line of the Los Angeles Marathon, for example. They have given me 27,000 people who think exercise is a good idea. So I don't have to do any arm twisting. My whole job is, you know, engage, inform, entertain, make sure they know what to do, where to go, and make sure they have a hell of a good time. And so I consider race announcing a day off because everyone already thinks exercise is a good idea. So I'm playing the ringleader in that capacity. And it's it's such a great time. And I made so many wonderful kind people that I do believe will be lifelong friends. Yes, I I think it is. Uh, I think that's an excellent, excellent thing. Um, so uh, we're going to close on this note, but I wanted to ask you kind of briefly. Um, uh, it's the beginning of the year. So everybody thinks they're trying to get in shape. This is the worst time of year to go to a gym because there's too many new people. Um, I always, when I was a power lifter, because I did that for a long time, I always dreaded January um, because my weight room was full of people who I didn't think belonged there. Um, I was one of those guys that carried the big rocks around on the platform. You know, I did the strong man, that sort of thing. Um, Because I have the frame for it and all this sort of thing. And uh, what is your advice to people who are getting started on a, on a fitness journey in 2023 i myself am starting to work out for the first time since 2016 i had an injury and had to stop for a very long time and so i am trying to to get back into it myself what is your advice for us all okay so really simple number one start where you are don't expect to be who you were 10 years ago or three years ago this is where you are today and your job is to make baby steps moving forward just little bits and when it comes to fitness, you should be working on four different uh, pillars. It's strength, cardio, flexibility, and balance. All four matter. Uh, you know, if you're a bodybuilder who can't touch his toes, you don't qualify as fit. If you're a marathon runner who can't do five pushups, you don't qualify as fit. You have to have proficiency in all four. So strength, cardio, flexibility, balance, give a little time to each most days of the week, constantly push that envelope a little bit at a time, and eventually you'll be really satisfied with your level of fitness. When it comes to nutrition, um, most people are trying to lose between one and 1,000 pounds. Never do anything that's called a diet. Um, Do not buy anything that says it's a weight loss shake or supplement. Uh, It's all snake oil. There is no product that will help you lose weight faster. What you have to do is control your intake. So if you go to fitness.com, that's F-I-T-Z, NESS, right on the cover, there's an article called The Exact Formula for Weight Loss. You pick your destination weight, and then I teach you how to create your own caloric budget. It's free, it's uh, gimmick-free, and it's effective. So it's just you being disciplined about what you put in your mouth. You don't have to be perfect. And if anybody tells you you have to, you have to give up sugar, or you have to give up fruit, or give up white stuff, then they're they're crazy. They're wrong. Um, you don't have to give up any major food item or food group unless you're if you're a vegetarian and there's ethical reasons, then give up meat. I have and I feel good about it. But um, you don't have to give up anything in particular. You just have to manage your intake and hopefully choose healthy food over unhealthy food. So fitness is not that complicated. You don't have to be perfect. You're not going to accomplish a whole bunch in a second. You know, if you were going to learn a new language, if I wanted everyone to learn Italian, If you took one class tomorrow, you wouldn't come out of it fluent in Italian. 
you would likely have to go back and take four to five Italian classes a week for a year to become fluent. And so that's kind of the same thing with fitness. You just have to consistently put in efforts. Again, those four pillars of fitness, um, watch what you put in your mouth, limit the alcohol, the tobacco products, get plenty of sleep. And all of a sudden you're living in a body that looks pretty good, feels pretty great and does what you wanted to do. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I know you've mentioned it before, but why don't you give us your socials and your website real quick so we know where to catch up with you? Yeah, fitness.com. That's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com is my home base for everything. Um, All the books are available there. I sign everything that's ordered at fitness.com. So I prefer they're bought there, but there's a ton of free resources, videos, recipes, articles, you name it. And then I'm also at fitness on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, I love LinkedIn connections. And and this is this is the big ask here is if you follow me, I promise quality content in, in exchange. However, what I prefer is that you reach out and say, I heard you on Cameron's podcast and I wanted to say hello. And uh, I would much rather have friends than followers. So please follow along, but reach out. Let's connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. Thanks, Cameron. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.